At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, Mr. LaRue, we have much to discuss here with opening night. Did you want to respond to my awesome uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula voice there? Uh, I'm just happy we have actual basketball to talk about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, a 70-year-old movie doesn't... Uh... Doesn't appeal to you? Oh god! No, actually. I mean a seven-year-old LeBron James doesn't necessarily either. <laughs> yeah, I mean that—that's my biggest takeaway from the beginning. Here it was a, a pretty comfortable Clippers victory. They led by ten most of the way uh, with a, a couple of Lakers scoring sprees, led by Danny Green, got them back into contact briefly. But that was the biggest thing to me: is LeBron James could not beat Montrez Harrell one-on-one. And the Clippers were just switching everything. They weren't able to get the pick and roll going with him and AD for that reason. And they left it up to Harrell, who's not a strong switch defender, to guard LeBron. And LeBron struggled to finish at the rim. He had five turnovers. He didn't have the jump shot working either. And only one game, but it was definitely a big time struggle for him. Not helped by some of the other issues that the Lakers certainly have, but those I think could be overcome if you have everything working around LeBron. This team was built with him as the sole perimeter creator if he's not going to be a top five type of player this year they're done there is a challenge with a small sample especially when you're playing a lead opposition as the lakers were tonight to overreact and say they're in big trouble to say oh oh man they're these problems are are unsolvable and most teams the lakers play especially for having a regular season conversation will not have the capability of even the clippers without paul george like this is still a really good basketball team this particularly on the front court area you know like having players like harkless coming off the bench jermichael green coming off the bench they have a lot of personnel that they can throw at the Lakers, which a lot of other teams do not. We talk about the scarcity of forwards all the time. However, a couple of these structural elements for the Lakers are concerning because they are so hard to adjust. During the NBA cast, we talked a couple times about how the Lakers really missed Rajon Rondo. Not exactly a dunked on favorite because they just have so few guys that yeah. can actually dribble the ball up court. Yeah, I mean, throw and make a throw, pass, throw, run a pick and roll. Throw Alex Caruso in there too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even Kuzma just as a third score, just someone that you can go to to create something. Uh, I, I mean, it was, definitely was a struggle, and I thought I, I liked the Clippers' strategy a lot. Well, and that's what made the 15-0 run that the Lakers had when LeBron sat at the end of the third quarter so anomalous. I mean, was that they had struggled in basically all of those other minutes to create reliable offense, and then it ended up working out for them. The Clippers missed some shots there. But those elements, you know, they they can get better, but something that I've harped on since 
Kawhi and Paul George came and Jermichael Green and all that is that the Clippers retained, despite all of what they gave up, they retained a larger ability to overhaul slash improve their team from this point. And the Lakers, you know, they need that and they're going to be a buyout destination. And I, I don't think that, especially when we're focusing on the playoffs, some of these things are are, are as big of deals. But, you know, the, the theory of the Clippers looks stronger right now than the theory of the Lakers. And they're, you know, it's not a representative sample or anything like that, but that was one of my takeaways. Yeah. Now, I'm not willing to shovel dirt on James just yet, no. but certainly the fall off has to come. Uh, I mean, he really struggled tonight, four of 11 in the paint, one of five from three, seven to 19 overall. And the Lakers took 30 shots from a two point range outside the restricted area, and they made nine of them. They are not a great mid range shooting team, and I think the Clippers switching really helps a lot with that. They did go a fair amount to these ad post-ups i thought ad did not have a good passing game this team did not play all that well together they don't really again because a lot of times we saw when they tried to have anyone other than lebron or ad initiate the play they would like just throw the ball away they couldn't even get like these entry passes and the credit the clippers for making everything really difficult for them they've got a lot of rangy guys as you mentioned patrick beverly guys who just were going to make it difficult to get into your offense for anyone you know quinn cook could barely bring the ball up the floor you know things like that were a big problem for them um so but i didn't expect this clippers defense to be that great without paul george maybe it is going to be better than i thought but they weren't good defensively last year you know i didn't think Kawhi had like some unbelievable defensive game but they just have a lot of guys who you know just are difficult to attack i guess you could say yeah and something that is also concerning to me in the second half lebron and ad two very efficient offensive players were a combined five of 18 from the field half of those shots came outside the restricted area and they missed all of those shots outside the restricted area so they were five of nine and then zero for nine that is a concern more for, and honestly for me the proportion rather than the success rates so we'll have to keep an eye on that moving forward a couple of the other big takeaways for me from this game Kawhi Leonard's mid-range game is just absolutely unstoppable. I mean, he, he, when the Lakers let him get to his right hand, which was the entirety of the second quarter, he was just getting to his spots. 30 points on 10 of 19 from the field, 9 of 10 from the line. Did turn it over six times, which is, which is worth mentioning, but his passing game does look better. And Leonard can be that, you know, that fail safe for the Clippers offense of, hey, he can move guys, like, especially if they're the smallest KCP, move them to get to his shots. And it's really hard to counter that. Yeah, he was six out of 10 for mid range. I mean, really only one out of two at the rim did get to the foul line a reasonable amount on his drives. Also committed two offensive fouls uh, on his drives, both mm-hmm. of which were relatively dubious. Uh, Lou Williams was outstanding. That Montrez harold lou williams pick and roll it was incredibly difficult for the lakers to stop the lakers don't do a ton of switching when they did they miscommunicated at times ad at center for the lakers we didn't see a ton of it but it was not effective in part because you know i don't think they have kuzma they're playing quinn cook a lot with that i don't think i'm not sure they ever got the five-man unit i think would have been the best for them which would have been bradley kcp danny green who was ridiculous with 28 points ad and lebron all on the floor at the same time uh so i i do think they have some things to work out from a rotation standpoint especially when they're fully healthy but again it all comes down to lebron if lebron his jump shot doesn't look good i mean it looked better last year so maybe it'll come around and if his finishing isn't better they also the way that they're playing right now with ad and another traditional big a lot of the time that's really mucking up the spacing dwight howard really struggled to finish inside i thought they actually probably should have played javel mcgee a little bit more than they did but those are not you know mcgee and howard 
are not like amazing players right now I, I think the idea of having a lot of size on the floor is useful they also didn't do anything on the offensive glass which was a major problem you got to do something on the offensive glass if you're going to play that way so they've got a lot to work out uh, it was a, a really nice preseason for them they also played four games against the Warriors defense. This is a really good Clippers team. So I'm not going to shovel dirt on them again. And uh, in fact, in the preview that we recorded before <laughs> the, this game, uh, I will not be shoveling dirt on them. But um, I don't know. Any, any other kind of big takeaways that you had from this one? Yeah, Patrick Patterson being the fifth starter in this one, and Subach actually was was one as well. I, I thought that the, the theory behind that was probably to have another capable post defender i he didn't do too much for me we also missed the beginning of the game because the raptors game was still going on where the clippers starters got absolutely torched but they can try out different things and paul george said that's not really a, a big concern at this point i thought mo harkless looked very good overall looked healthier defensively took this three pointers with less hesitation i'm sure trailblazers fans were thrilled to see that considering it was a, a big problem for them in various playoff series over the last couple of years but yeah the clippers even without their full complimenter guys looked they looked robust and i think that's really important and remember that they can improve over the course of the season so i thought that was good danny green setting a lakers record for points in a debut with 28 passing the great Kareem abdul jabbar which i think is kind of a cool little piece of history and i wonder you know caruso and and, and rondo being back will help in this way but I, i'm very interested in how this lakers team looks different at the end of the year i mean it's too early to project what that's going to be and they're not gonna you know you're not playing the clippers every night thankfully for for the Lakers but I'm one I, I started to really think about the long game because the Clippers are a team they could face in that long game yeah I, I think the Clippers looked really good tonight we'll see how they hold up defensively against teams uh, with maybe a little bit better spacing and system but uh you know Harkless maybe he's improved too defensively a little bit uh or I'm sorry Harrell I should say and I'm gonna confuse those guys all season it's, it's gonna suck um but also really interesting Harrell played 38 minutes and Lou Williams played 37 off the bench yeah I mean pretty rare that you're gonna see guys come off the bench in a non-overtime game with those five minutes and those guys were both awesome plus 13 and plus 15 respectively Lou also had seven assists and they combined to double up the Lakers entire bench for scoring Jermichael Green looked good four of seven from downtown he had struggled to shoot it early in camp but shot it really well when he came over from Memphis had more of a green light with the Clippers and so if he's able to have a really nice shooting season and he can get up I mean he got up seven three-pointers in 19 minutes if he can shoot and hit three-pointers at that rate especially with the thought that maybe he may might be a part of their closing group with George he's probably going to be their starting four a lot of the times too if he can shoot it like that he's that's going to be a major boon for LA Avicii Zubac only played 10 minutes which considering how big the Lakers play it's a little interesting that he basically got the Keith Bogans he was eight points on four of four but was yeah he had, uh, was he had a nice little five. stretch at the very beginning of the third quarter but Harold outplayed him yeah uh Kawhi did have the six turnovers but five assists that's more than he'll have he had a couple of nice passes as well that was the one theme of his truncated preseason was that he was passing the ball a, a little bit more he had a game worth like six assists in like 19 minutes or something like that so he did show a little bit more passing vision he's never been elite in that area but he had a nice dump off to Harold uh 
as the role man um anything else to say about this game it just kind of i mean we usually in the playoffs we'll talk about adjustments but things that these teams can do differently going forward this season i was reminded during the game about how i think davis and lebron can be symbiotic players i think they can each make life easier on the other but the lakers do not have enough creation at least right now outside of those two gentlemen to not stagger them like you you just have to you have to have one of those two guys on the floor to make this work and that's going to be something that i'm going to watch moving forward yeah ad was actually plus three uh and lebron was negative eight they had a run a 15-0 run without lebron on the floor at the end of the third to get back into it after they trailed by 14 they actually even took a, a brief lead so uh, ad is the least of their problems people were saying oh, after this game oh he's not that good uh yeah he was uh, had an inefficient game tonight i do th- do think that just hey we're gonna throw it to ad on the block and let him isolate is not the best use of his talents but if you're gonna switch everything every pick and roll with him and lebron and you don't have anyone else to run a pick and roll it's hard to set him up uh, for some of his more uh, efficient looks so i'm very interested to see as you said what they'll look like against some other teams here and for the lakers you know, i think getting quinn cook out of the rotation will be good at just or just to, into a role where he can be next to another playmaker just even bringing the ball up he's like it was almost too limited to do that i think they should even give K- KCP some more looks on ball if they're going to not have Rondo and Caruso available because he actually did some pick and roll ball handling. He's probably got a better pick and roll pedigree, <laughs> sad as it is to say, uh, based on his Detroit days uh, than a lot of these guys do, but he really didn't get many opportunities at all tonight. And Clippers, I mean, can't complain. Looked, looked pretty darn good. And I'm just very interested to see what it looks like here with Paul George. But And also noteworthy that Rodney Magruder missed this game as well. It's still returning from that high ankle sprain. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see where he fits in. But I mean, they have an embarrassment of riches to not have Magruder and not have George and still have more than enough guys who could defend AD and LeBron and switch on their pick and rolls. It looked really good. Yeah. We'll talk Pell's Raptors and, of course, get to part one of our season prediction in a moment. But I want to tell you about Native creating safe, simple, effective hygiene products that people use every day their products are filled with trusted ingredients and their natural deodorant is no different it's formulated without aluminum parabens and talc and it's with ingredients found in nature such as coconut oil shea butter and tapioca starch comes in a wide variety of enticing scents for men and women and they release new limited edition seasonal scents throughout the year my wife actually uses native she likes naturally related deodorant and their classic deodorant scents such as coconut and vanilla lavender and rose cucumber and mint and eucalyptus and mint i dare say they smell pretty good and if you have any kind of sensitivities, Native has an unscented formula and a baking soda-free formula as well. So make the switch to a natural deodorant. It doesn't mean you have to sacrifice on odor and wetness protection. Native is proof of that. They've got over 8,000 five-star reviews. And there's no risk to try it. They offer free shipping and free returns and exchanges in the United States. For 20% off your first purchase, visit nativedeodorant.com and use that familiar promo code. Danny, what is our pr- promo code? Capspace. It's nice having you here in person after the NBA cast. We can actually like, interact during between these ads by you saying one word yay that's two words <laughs> so again 20 percent off your first purchase visit nativedeodorant.com use the cap space code let them know that you came from us so new orleans and toronto was a real barn burner of a game i enjoyed it immensely i don't know if it was an incredibly well played game but two teams that probably should be kind of in the middle of the league toronto playing at home on ring night it felt to me like the pels outplayed them a lot of the way though yeah, I would agree with that. And that was a particularly big surprise with Zion Williamson missing the game. And also because of the way Alvin Gentry chose to run his rotation. Not only did Gentry play 12 guys, 
He played all 12 guys 12 minutes or more. So this was not token minutes or anything like that. And the most striking part of that was something that really affected the outcome of the game, which was after a strong-ish start to the fourth quarter, Gentry decided to rely heavily on his backups, most notably Frank Jackson and Jaleel Okafor, instead of starters and presumed closers, Derek Favors and Alonzo Ball. Now, when the game went to overtime, and both JJ Redick for that and matter. And JJ Redick for that matter. Yeah, did Frank Jackson in there? It was... It was an odd group. But so the the juxtaposition of Gentry going with these less established players and then Nick Nurse playing an eight-man rotation that was, you know, almost all players that had at least some elements of their championship team last year and then Terrence Davis, newcomer. It was, it was pretty striking. And I thought that the Pelicans then can take away some positives. You know, they did lose this game 130 to 122, but I mean, they had, they had a lot of guys that I thought did well in limited minutes, Nicola Melli being one of them. And then the Raptors, I mean, there's certainly, there's nothing negative to really take away from their end, especially with Pascal Siakam having a bonkers game. Yeah, 34 points, 18 rebounds, six offensive rebounds for him, five assists, did have four turnovers, did foul out at the very end of regulation on a extremely dubious call uh, running into J.J. Redick when he flopped uh, trying to run uh, a pick and roll at Redick. But he, he was 11 to 26, but got to the foul line a ton, looked bouncy. He looked like you know, we didn't see anything from him that was like, oh my God, this is crazy. He added this to his game. He did look comfortable taking a couple of above the break threes. So it went two of five from downtown. Well, what I thought was different was I thought Siakam did a much better job creating and penetrating in the half court. You know, like last year, really the, the value he unlocked offensively primarily was being that force in transition. And he Siakam is going to have to do more with the ball in his hands in the half court this year, even if they start Lowry and Van Vliet the whole time. And I thought he did a nice job there. Yeah, it did have the four turnover and a few little miscues but overall I thought he looked more comfortable with the ball in his hands than I anticipated and that that's important because the Raptors defense I have no I have no doubts about their defense like I thought they especially in that second half they really did start putting the clamps down on the New Orleans Pelicans but if they can get reliable offense get clean looks for their the term I usually use is dependent players you could use supporting players if Siakam can drive enough to get the help there then that can work yeah Pascal was in the low 20s in usage last year, 35.8% usage in this game. They definitely are going to go to him a lot. He still didn't show much of a mid-range game, but against the Pels, it didn't matter because he's just physically able to overwhelm just about anybody that they're going to put on him with this group he's too strong and too athletic for brandon ingram and everyone else uh, looked even worse trying to keep him out of the paint drew holiday maybe did the best but he's just so long and so good with those spin moves and the pals didn't have active enough defenders necessarily uh, to deal with them they had to follow him quite a bit one one of the other important takeaways for me this game was fred van vliet absolutely torching the pelicans in the third i believe was the third quarter nicola melli was a was a frequent victim and he could have put up even crazier numbers if he hadn't turned an ankle on what looked like a camera in that third quarter but still 34 points 12 of 18 from the field five of seven from three seven assists and only two turnovers i thought he looked good overall a challenge for the raptors like a few other teams this year is that they their two best ball handlers at least as of right now are starting for them so how are they going to structure this in terms of bench rotation but I think that Nurse will be able to make it work, especially if Siakam can take on more of the responsibility. It's just something I want to keep watching. Yeah, another big number for the Raptors, 45 minutes for Lowry and overtime, 44 for Van Vliet, despite being clearly limited by that sprained ankle. And I know uh, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson was unavailable with 
a groin issue that's not great because he's had groin issues in the past but stanley johnson who they signed to a one plus one for the bae he is just totally in the doghouse it looks like and they just got a bunch of guys malcolm miller chris boucher matt thomas who they didn't want to play and in fact it was terrence davis who is the eighth man remember he signed with them in the offseason he was undrafted played one game for houston summer league team and then the raptors snapped him up i thought davis actually looked okay out there he's he's not as good defensively as some of these other guys but was able to at least be a threat from downtown and that's really what they need i mean at the end of the first half he was actually playing over og ananobi who you know i thought had a decent game was really a part of this good raptors defense and looked to be shooting from three without hesitation he ended up playing 36 minutes but yeah if they suffer an injury and they got to go into this bench it, it could look a little ugly for these guys you know hopefully they can get something out of johnson at some point something out of ronde maybe matt thomas can give them some shooting but the, they maybe boucher can give them a little bit more as a shooter and shot blocker you know they are guys who have some talent but especially when you look at the lack of a third point guard if lowry or van vliet both of whom started have to miss time then they could be in some trouble but their defense is always going to be something that they can fall back on another through line of this game i'm going to be watching the former lakers that are now pelicans included the anthony davis trade all year uh ingram ball and josh hart one important takeaway is that all of them looked more confident and less hesitant shooting three-pointers now that did lead to lonzo shooting Uh one of the worst three-pointers i've seen in a long time like a one-footed lefty fading fading three that wasn't i don't think it was late enough in the shot clock to warrant it but that was his only miss from three-pointer from three in the game ingram i have i still have my foibles with him being too comfortable taking bad shots in the mid-range but he was able to put up those three-pointers from the corner relatively quickly i think that's important and then the one of those three who ended up you know making a pretty big impact later in the game josh hart natural fit with his personnel tried hard on defense got some offensive rebounds three of five from three as well and i i'm so interested in those three in particular because of the idea of taking them out of what the lakers i I had issues with the way they were running their team and all that last year and the year before that and so now i think all three of them are in better health and they're in more favorable circumstances so even without zion out we can evaluate all this couple other notes jj reddick i thought it was ironic that the raptors just absolutely eviscerated him on the defensive end in the third quarter because they just weren't able to do that when he played for philly last year obviously he had a lot more defensive pieces around him but they also had Kawhi leonard and danny green on the team back then too but i mean they were posting him up with og ananobi they're running screen after screen at at him and he he just was not able to get on the floor and affect siakam when they did take it out of siakam's hands it was a roll down the lane for ananobi for a dunk they just were running at him every play in that third quarter as the reps built out to a nice 10 point lead or so and they just couldn't do anything about it so he went out that's a big part of why he didn't play until the very end but then at the end of regulation they ran two plays at him and he actually did much better he drew that charge on siakam which was the the sixth foul um any other like little things that stood out to you kyle lowry getting fouled on jump shots ended up really swinging the game he got fouled on a three in late in regulation then he got fouled on a two in overtime both of those did really swing it and two players who ratcheted up the entertainment value for the pelicans (laughs) making them a league league pass darling this year nicolo melli just aggressive three-point shooter four of five from the field from three five of seven overall from the field i enjoyed him a lot and then maybe the most entertaining one for ten from the field game i can ever remember from Nikhil alexander walker he had the greenest of lights early on also had some really nice passes did some nice creation i think that gentry needs to 
again, this paralleling the Raptors, their two best creators both start, need to work more on staggering those two because Nikhil Alexander-Walker as the only creator, it might be fun to watch for moments, but it doesn't help the Pelicans win as many basketball games. Yeah, I mean, and, and I didn't think he was taking that many bad shots. I mean, he came in right away and took a step back three over Serge Ibaka that was a little aggressive. He had a couple other plays where he got into trouble on his drives, but 10 field goal attempts in 12 minutes. They brought him back in, and, and now he's coming home to Toronto. But I didn't think like that many of his shots were bad shots, no. especially because he was out there with like Etwan Moore. They didn't even have Frank Jackson out there. It was like Moore and Hart and Kenrick Williams and Jalil Okafor. So like, yeah, he's the only guy who's going to really run much pick and roll with that group and so yeah i mean seven three-point attempts in 12 minutes that might be aggressive some of those were like on possessions where he took multiple attempts because he got an offensive rebound thrown back to it but i thought he looked fine uh just the shot i mean the biggest concern that i have is that that outside shot is just not going to go down for him and then it's you know it might be an issue uh, and you know you wonder how efficient a guy like that drafted number 17 can be um frank jackson looked pretty good was even playing some down the end he was the the defender on a norman powell iso at the end of the game i mean you say that but it was tied at 107 pascal siakam had fouled out i'm actually not really sure and van vliet was limited yeah i I mean van vliet's not gonna like it's tough to run a pick and roll in that situation because if you get blitzed you could turn it over and go the other way you if you run the time down far enough you may not have time to swing the ball around for an open shot that's why teams go especially with a tie game at the end and you got to run the time down Powell pulled up for a deep three over Jackson. wasn't really a great look. It would have preferred he'd be a little more aggressive there. But yeah, he may have actually been their best option as an ISO player. Nurse uh, acknowledged that. A um, couple other small notes here. Raptors went to a lot of switching with Serge Ibaka at center. That was really effective for them down the end of the third quarter as they surged out to a big lead. Pels 19 of 45 from downtown so there's a concern they wouldn't have enough shooting they definitely got shots up and they hit a ton of them so I may take it back actually that they really outplayed the Raptors they were a, a big part of it was that hot three-point shooting that they had um and Melly of course was, was a big part of that as you mentioned Drew Holiday I'd like to see him do a little bit more ball I liked what I saw from him as far as his moving the ball his passing was really good five assists in 25 minutes but yeah those those two tough three-pointers that he took uh didn't really really care for those a ton and Derek Favors only 21 minutes I mean without Derek Favors on the floor it's hard for me to see how these guys are going to stop anybody uh and I thought he got a little mid-range happy early on all three of his misses were mid-rangers either floaters but then he started throwing some passes later I did think though that Jalil Okafor particularly as they made their comeback I thought that he looks much slimmer better defensively you know I didn't really see him just like the total pathetic Jalil Okafor defense that we've grown so accustomed to and he is a, a solid finisher. He looks as slim as we've ever seen. Uh, Pels did have their bigs getting out on the floor. I think for some teams that makes sense. But against this Raptors teams, I thought it did not make sense because you don't have great on-ball creators with this group. And so by putting two on the ball way out on the floor with Lowry and Van Vliet, those aren't guys who necessarily need to be double teamed at the point of attack to prevent them from getting a good shot. They're not going to get all the way to the rim and kill you out of pick and roll. So by putting two on the ball, you're letting the these good passers on Toronto move the ball around and kind of giving them an opening 
that they don't deserve and then that also when you're playing with ingram at the four and basically a shooting guard at the three you're so small on the back line the raptors really took advantage of that hurt them on the offensive glass and around the rim raptors got a ton of shots around the rim though they didn't finish them incredibly well so i I think that may be their base defense but i didn't think it was the right scheme fit against this raptors team yeah, I think that's fair. Even so, just more on how the players played rather than the scheme fits. I think Pelicans fans should feel good about how they looked in game one. You know, lots more guys seemed capable and it will take time for Gentry to kind of fit the puzzle pieces together. But I think they're better pieces than I expected. So that's a good sign for them. Yeah, and they did play with a fast pace. I don't know. This might have just been an, of the 19 of 45 three-point shooting that really kept them in this. Or maybe the Raptors aren't that good, too. That's a, another thing to consider. Uh, only the first game. We'll see what they look like when they get back home. But they definitely could use Zion because the Raptors won this game because they outforced the Pels. They just didn't have enough size at those wing positions to deal with guys like Ananobi and Siakam, Serge Ibaka uh, as well. All right, Danny, let's do some predictions here. The way we do this, we are going to predict, or at least I'm going to, I don't know if Danny has done this, records for every team in the league, playoff teams, champions, bottom tier teams, all the awards. Some of them we may push it into a part two. A few awards that we made up as well. So let's start in the Western Conference. Who is your number one regular season seed in the regular in the <laughs> Western Conference? I was really torn between two teams, the Denver Nuggets and the Houston Rockets. Both of them have a lot of holdover talent, have top end talent, and should be really good regular season teams because they crush inferior teams and then they'll, you know, put up points and, and have some good games against elite competition. So I ended up going with the Nuggets. I did do win totals if people want them, uh, but I, I feel like we're going to be throwing out so many numbers so i'll really only say them if i really disagree with you but they were okay. 56 and 55 for me respectively but it was really splitting hairs between those two teams yeah i've got houston with the number one seed at 56 i actually have them three ahead of anyone else uh, and then i've got lakers and denver at 53 utah and clippers at 52 obviously you want more of the rationale uh, on some of this stuff so then I, utah and clippers would be the four or five yeah yeah but i mean obviously when you're i'm only projecting these guys to be one win apart from each other i think that could happen in just about any order especially when you consider the potential luck denver not quite as high on as you just because they only had the point differential of a 50 win team last year and i don't think that their defense can be quite as good this season they're 11th last year they benefited from some hot opponent three-point shooting by the way if you want more on the rationale for my picks on all these teams, I've done hour-long podcasts on every single team in the NBA. So that will explain a little bit more what the thinking is there. But yeah, I think I, I've got those top those five teams as that top tier in the West. Uh, and then I see a, a significant drop-off below there. Would you agree with that? Or do you have anybody else kind of up in that range? I have one other team up in that range, though they are a little bit separated. I would, What I would say is it's not a drop-off. And for me, that's the Portland Trailblazers. I have the Blazers at 47. Your conversation with John Hollinger was interesting here. I'm, I'm just a believer in Terry Stott's defensive scheme. And remember that they weren't great on defense last year and they still had a good record. I think their offense is going to be fantastic. And so for me, it's Denver, Houston, then the Clippers, Lakers and Jazz in that order and then Portland pretty close behind them but I would say that I have them closer to this tier than the one below it so I'm going to say it's not a huge drop off yeah I have Portland San Antonio and Golden State as the next three teams I am if I have to pick an eighth seed I'm picking Golden State at 45 wins San Antonio 45 Portland 46 uh but i and I do have a little bit of a step down to some of the teams below them 
But I also think all three of the teams below them, which is Sacramento, Dallas, and New Orleans, that any of those three teams could really pop because of some of the young players that they have especially dallas and new orleans were two of the hardest to project now new orleans i have down a little bit after zion's injury i project that's going to cost them a game or two kevin pelton had a nice piece on that uh, on friday but i just so i think even though i have golden state making the playoffs as the number eight seed because i have to put these teams in order i think it's more likely than not that they do not make the playoffs and especially with steve kerr saying today he doesn't expect clay thompson to play this year i think that was more just his personal opinion having recovered from a torn acl himself you know he's not clay thompson but i'm i'm skeptical and i think steve also frankly is a little bit informed by how good he thinks his team is going to be and that it may not be worth it to bring clay back so i'm worried about golden state i'm worried about san Antonio. i project them both with 45 wins and but to be in the playoffs but yeah i think it's more likely than not that one of sacramento dallas or new orleans is going to eclipse golden state this year i see them as clearly the weakest playoff team um where do you see the warriors this year i have them seventh it's it is as you said this is a pretty tight clump like so i the way i did it is i have the warriors dallas sacramento the pelicans the spurs and the t-wolves all really all pretty close there's a little bit of a mini gap i actually have dallas at 43 as the eighth seed and then the other teams are at 39 38 39 and 40 but as you know that's splitting hairs you know that could be a, a couple of bounces really between those and i think i just think dallas is the most likely of those teams to pop i I really like their depth. I think that their top end talent is intriguing. And I think Carlisle's one hell of a coach. So that's another advantage. So it's funny, based on seeding, I would think that San Antonio might be our biggest disagreement because I have them technically like tied for 10th and you have them 7th. But I don't think our difference in evaluation is that stark. Yeah, and I would say, even though I have Portland for 46 and San Antonio and Golden State for 45, I think San Antonio and Golden State, to me, are more vulnerable than the Trailblazers are. Uh, Yeah, especially because Portland, their star players have stayed healthy, and there is no guarantee that they will. But you do have that, like with Nikola Jokic, for me, that's another part of the reason why I'm more confident in in Denver is, you know, he's pretty ground-bound, and he's stayed healthy over the course of his career so far. So that helps me feel more confident. Yeah, Minnesota... I have them only two wins below New Orleans at 39, uh, Minnesota at 37, but I do think Minnesota's upside is really limited by their defense. I really struggle to see them getting out of the bottom 20 in defense this year. Uh, and then OKC kind of by themselves at 33 wins, and then Phoenix and Memphis, Phoenix 27, Memphis 26, rounding out the conference here. Uh, any, you're a little higher on OKC, right? I am. I I think they're more like a 35, 36 win team, but I lowered them to 33 as well, just on the idea that gravity pulls these teams down. Like that's just the way this works, whether that's trading players, sitting players, but that's still going over their over under, which is what I'm really bullish on. Yeah, and I think Gallo might be the single player most likely to be traded in the entire league and they have absolutely zero depth i, I might have nene there but yeah that's <laughs> yeah well, yeah i guess that's true huh um all right eastern conference i got milwaukee 58 wins highest in the nba by two wins uh five wins ahead of philly at 53 wins i those those two teams are in a tier uh above the rest of the east to me in terms of regular season wins i have milwaukee in a tier by themselves relative to the east i just think philly philly they're going to be a good team i think they're an awesome potential eastern conference finals opponent 
And Kem Pelton, when he was on Real Gym Radio, we talked about how the current, I think it's the BPI projections, have that as the most likely playoff series, period, whenever it happens, and I agree with that. But as a regular season thing, the Bucks are just so well-structured. Remember, Giannis missed time last year, so it's not like they everything went well for them, and you know everything did overall, but they have that in Philly. I think they're going to have some flat offensive games. They're going to do more load management with guys like Joel Embiid, and they're just a little bit, they're not that deep, so that could end up, they they hit a couple games. I think they're deeper than last year, but you know, especially if Batiste Thibault can can have some good moments. The next tier was was interesting for me. Well, quick, I, quickly on Philly, sure. I think Portland to me is probably the most likely team to make a trade. I would put Philly up there as well. Now we thought that last year. Interesting. They, so what what is your concept of what like a material trade? Because I think Philly's like starting five is pretty locked in. Oh yeah, no, I, I think just to get someone who can contribute off the bench oh be okay better. that kind of that kind of thing more uh, like a I james mean, ennis type of trade yeah well i think even someone a little bit higher level than that just just someone who fits with their starters and can shoot the ball and is is passable defensively i think they really need that where you know thibault has looked pretty good defensively to start with but he's a rookie zaire smith probably isn't ready mike scott is as a sixth man is a little bit overstretched in that role so i i think and ennis too is you know he's he's all right but i think especially because this is a year where it's going to be for the taking in the eastern conference and they're pretty much gifted into the conference finals unless boston makes a move that's another one where you you would think they're a pretty likely team to make a trade as well as well. uh, a quick add-on to that i would argue partially well mostly due to their specific unusual circumstances with the hard cap the warriors are the least likely team to make an in-season trade because they basically can't because they used up all their cash now if they hadn't used up all their cash and could dump let's say Amari Spellman if they decline his option that would have been a completely logical trade and you think about how catastrophic it is that they can't do something like that it's that's what happens yes we've talked about that uh, ad nauseum uh, another prediction that I will make here is we will not see a single team make an in-season move with the chief purpose of opening up salary cap space for the offseason in 2020. We may see some teams try to dump, you know, like you talked about with Nene, reduce the tax bill, Portland, you know, we could see those types of trades maybe. But for teams who are like, yeah, we really want to open up space in 2020. I mean, we saw a lot of those trades in the last few years going into that seminal 2019 offseason. I think we're just like the whole league's going to be sitting this 2020 offseason out. <laughs> well, he, like. here's a, here's a really interesting thought I just had. You were talking about the idea of ducking luxury tax. Bobby Marks had a little bit on this earlier today that basically there are very few teams that are into the luxury tax at all. And I mean, and so my thought is it would be smart for a few teams to jump in a little bit because the opportunity cost is a lot of times, yeah, you pay in, you pay some tax money, but also you lose the payout. But if the payout is significantly lower this year, just because there aren't those super expensive teams, the, you know, even the Warriors are going to pay the tax, but they're going to pay exceedingly little tax. So this would be a year where making that jump, you know, costing jumping two to three million in means less than it would in another year. So a couple of teams should do that. Yeah, but Danny, the, the repeater tax five years from now. Yeah. What, what about that? What about that? Uh, so Boston, 48 wins. Toronto, 46 are kind of the next tier in the East for me. Certainly could see Miami joining that group uh, as well uh, at 44 wins. Then I got Brooklyn, 43, Indiana, 42, Orlando and Detroit both at 40. That takes you through the ninth seed. I would pick Orlando over Detroit uh, to make the playoffs, but... You could say maybe that Detroit, even though they're picked as the ninth seed, opposite to the way I had it with Golden State, that Detroit still as the ninth seed has a greater than 50% chance of making the playoffs just because there aren't that many contenders. 
Um, any comments there? I have the same five teams in that next group. I have them in a different order, and there's a little bit of separation for me. I have Miami at 44, Orlando at 43. I like those two teams better than the rest for, I mean, I like their defenses, and they were well coached, and and I kind of like the theory of the case a little bit better for them. Also, I mean, Indiana's, if Indiana were healthy, then they would be in a different category for me, but they aren't, and we know that. So The news on Oladipo coming back has been decent. You know, it seems like he's going to start scrimmaging five on five, but not full court pretty shortly here, so so, you know, it might be realistic. Be, they're going to be so judicious with him because they have to. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, they'll, I mean, and that, that's the way they should they, they should play it. So, yeah, so I have those two. Then Indiana, Brooklyn, Detroit are kind of their own group. I have Indy and Brooklyn making the playoffs and Detroit missing. But as you said, Detroit has a good chance. It's just who stays healthiest probably among that group of, of five teams is, is going to be. Those teams will make it in, whoever's least healthy. Then I have Chicago as the 10 by basically a mile and a half. I have Agreed. them I have them at 37 so the three games back at Detroit and then seven games ahead of the the teams at the, kind of the bottom end of the east. Yeah, I, I had Chicago with 35 wins and similar I I think you know maybe if they make a move they could get into this category but I think the lack of depth on the wing, lack of depth at center and just just too many question marks where whether it's the high end potential of Levine and Markkanen or relying on Kobe White in a rotation role, relying on Wendell Carter to be a starting center when he hasn't been able to stay healthy and it hasn't produced offensively yet. I mean, there's just a few too many questions. I can well, see it happening. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, so, so the, to me, the analogy here is Dallas, where there is a theory of the case. We just haven't seen it in action. Why I have Dallas over Chicago is that I think Dallas's talent is better and I think their coaching is better. So, yeah. But the idea being that for both of those teams, we haven't seen it yet. Whereas for the Pacers and the Nets, even if it wasn't the Nets in this configuration, and then obviously the Pistons because they have basically the same team yeah then well, well we've also for the Nets we've also seen it with Kyrie Irving I mean we, we know that Kyrie yeah. Irving is a superstar player, there, the, the question marks for them are, are a lot more nebulous and I mean they're they're a lot smaller they're a lot more faint and so with the Bulls yeah I could absolutely see them being a 41 42 win team being in this mix but I'm less confident in it and the, their comparative lack of depth could be a big problem just if you know like the how things work out like the guard rotation if Kobe White's not ready if they have to rely somehow on like Denzel Valentine or something. It's also why the Sadoransky pickup was so important for them. They have that stabilizing piece is going to be in the starting lineup. Then, so now we're at the bottom five teams and bottom four in the in the i have oh, wait. five no it is five yeah oh sorry yeah i had a page break on my sheet okay yeah and so this is atlanta washington charlotte the knicks and the Cavs for me i you know atlanta to me is the best of those teams washington you know how hard do they push bradley beal especially now that all nba doesn't matter at all to him i think that could pull them down a little bit yeah i, I have them up by one from when i did the pod though because they we now know that they will have beal the whole year yeah, that is that is important so so and then so do you have them over atlanta or do you have atlanta than washington no no i i have atlanta at 30 and i i i don't have them in the absolute bottom tier of teams i think they're year. better than those teams too i just in terms yeah. of, in terms of regular season record the other big part of this yeah. is this is you could call this a prediction travis schlank's decision not to really get a backup point guard i think is going to cost the hawks at least like yeah. two or three games and, and, and they have no backup center either, so they don't have yeah. a starting center let's put it that way so yeah i mean some people are high on land if, if he shoots the ball the way he did the second half of last year i'd start to feel okay about him but yeah i mean he's when you're talking about him as the anchor of your defense when they have uh a few question marks on that end uh that's probably not adequate so yeah so 
New York, Washington, Cleveland, and Charlotte. I've got them all 25 for the first two, and then Cleveland and Charlotte at, at 24. So overall bottom tier of teams for the league, Cleveland, Washington, New York, Memphis, and Phoenix uh, to me are, are that bottom tier. Phoenix being the most likely to get out of that, uh, I would say. Um, I am a little bit more negative on the league this year, where I think generally I've been a little bit more positive. You know, 1,230 wins are up for grabs this season. I have 1,223 wins predicted for the league. So I think probably the most likely place where, where I'm underrating is that bottom of the West, you know, with Sacramento, Dallas, New Orleans, Portland, San Antonio, Golden State. I think those teams are probably a few of those are going to pop uh and then maybe in that kind of middle of the east bracket as well i think that those we've seen kind of these lower end playoff teams especially towards the end of the year as everyone else is uh kind of taking the the last couple months of the season off they can push up a a little bit to a little bit higher so if i had to guess where these wins are going to come from i'm guessing the bottom of the east and the west playoff bracket and any teams that are fighting for it uh that's probably i'm I'm a little bit low in terms of win totals on those teams but i just i couldn't there wasn't any one team with that i felt great about there so yeah i'm a little low overall for the season but that's that's fine you can imagine how i reacted when i did the math and on my initial projections i changed there them after go. i got it exactly even really that's very surprising to me because we you had more unders when we did the over unders than i did yeah i also yeah i think what happened was i made that adjustment on the top of the like the, that 7 to 12 group in the West. I kind of gave those teams a little bit of a bump. I, I think my adjustments moved a couple teams. I think I moved more down than up. So I my, I didn't cross-check my newest one, cause mostly because I was so damn happy on the first one. I didn't want to ruin that. But yeah, I, I, I think it was that and maybe i'm a little bit more optimistic on some of the top teams too but yeah and so i think unless you want to take a break we can move to conference finalists and champions i i do want to take a break uh because you know this is we got to tease this right yeah so you might recall the greatest of all time michael jordan yesterday causing a kerfuffle by saying that steph curry has not yet done enough to get into the hall of fame and you know jordan the shine has come off of him since he's retired a little bit still the greatest of all time player but the shine is never going to come off your shoes from goat.com they are the greatest of all time when it comes to buying shoes yeezys jordans off-whites if you're going to f- buy sneakers for a few hundred dollars, you better be sure they're the real thing. And that's why you go to goat.com. Their thousands of styles are all guaranteed authentic. The way it works is they only work with trusted sellers, and those sellers actually send the shoe to Goat's trusted team of experts. They know the way a pair of Jordans smells. They know the exact weight they know exactly what the stitching is supposed to look like every detail is inspected from the stitching and the color to the size and the weight as i mentioned they've got over 15 million users around the world buying and selling verified shoes every day at goat you'll find exactly what you want at the best possible price find the perfect 100 authentic sneaker at goat.com slash cap space plus support our show go there now before the sneakers you want are gone that's goat.com g-o-a-t.com you know how to spell goat goat.com slash cap space don't forget that slash cap space url to let them know that you came from us okay let's do it this way who as it stands right now with these current rosters are viable championship contenders to you in the East, I think it's the Bucks and the Sixers, and that's it. They're, but, but, but I could see both of them winning the championship. The West is tough. I would say the Clippers and Lakers unambiguously, and then I would add in the Rockets because they have the the top end talent and there's like you know the ceiling theory of the case is probably there for them they're the weakest of that group to me but i do think it's fair to include them 
Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, the Clippers and Lakers, we don't know what they're going to look like. This Rockets team, I mean, who knows? Like the, the Houston Rockets could have been the NBA champions each of the last two years if it weren't for the Golden State Warriors, and now they don't exist. And the Rockets, you can make an argument at least that they got better. They do have some flexibility. We'll see uh, about you know whether they're willing to pay the tax, but they, they've got some assets still that they can make a move. They do. Their depth is a concern, but they've got a pretty good general manager to fill in around the edge of there so, so yeah i would agree i would have those five teams in there are there any other teams that you think are a realistic move and when we say that just you know let's say they trade a first round pick for someone who's expiring this summer or something like that anybody that you look at who's a realistic move away from being a championship contender or even possibly a championship contender the first team that sticks out there would be denver i think that is maybe their the defense works with jeremy grant and paul Millsap. Yeah. And but but what is that move though now that bradley beal is off the table i think if they but, can get oh, okay but who What's andre if they could get andre guadala as a buyout guy or if they could just get him in a trade like will barton in a first for guadala <sighs> I'm still not sure that gets them there in my mind. I think yeah, actually, that, gets- that that would be an interesting trade, though, because, I mean, I don't know. Maybe Memphis would just be interested in Barton. They just desperately need something at the two and some yeah. creation. He'd be cre- he could be uh, a second unit guy or a starter, depending on what they needed at a given moment. I, I actually really like that trade in theory. And it gets Denver out yeah, of some, you know, kind bad. of bad long-term money that they don't really need. Yeah, I mean, a lot of trading of first-round picks lately for the Nuggets, but... True. Uh, and, and, I mean, it's... Which or, it could, because, or it could be, you know, somebody, you know, they have a ton of young guys, Malik Beasley, Wancho, like they could do a bunch of different iterations of this. Yeah, I think Wancho might be a nice fit there also in Memphis. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know if Iguodala puts them over the top. I'm just, I don't really, I mean, he his defense is nice and his passing is nice, but I'm not sure, like offensively, he's not a good fit for what they want to do. I um, remember him as being a good cutter. I think that could be useful with Jokic. Yeah, yeah, I don't know at his age if he's really like sprinting hard backdoor. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, that's, uh, I mean, he obviously has a history there and he didn't trash Denver in his book. So maybe, <laughs> maybe he likes it. All right. But yeah, uh, I mean, Boston is the other one that comes to mind just because they have that hole at center. I and, still... and, they have a war, and they have a war chest. I mean, they could right. give up that Memphis pick. Yeah. But even then, even if they got, you know, a Miles Turner or something, I still don't think they quite have the top end talent. I mean, Jason Tatum would have to take a major step forward. Like, I just don't see Kemba Walker as quite being good enough when you really get down to it. Well, and then the other thing that Boston would have real trouble with is I, I've talked about certain teams as being kind of like super team vulnerable. The idea that elite, they're not necessarily designed to handle elite talent. And so remember who the best teams have here. So they're either facing the Clippers with Paul George and Kawhi, the Bucks with Giannis. And I think the Celtics could be a lot better, but are they well suited to handling that type of top end talent? I, I don't think so. What about Utah? So Utah is kind of my analog for you with Denver, where I don't know what that trade is. Well, I think uh, like Iguodala again could be uh, a potential. So then, so I guess, so he takes that fifth starter spot next to Bogdanovich. Yeah, or, or he comes line. off the bench and he guards your LeBrons or your Paul Georges or your Kawhi. You can only guard one of the two, obviously. Down the end of the game, you know, he kind of would be playing the four next to Bogdanovich. I, I'm not advocating for this. Again, I just, I don't think that there's just quite enough top end yeah, talent it, there. It's definitely worth discussing. I would yeah. say that they don't quite get there for me, but there, right. it, it, there's a sound logic though. But this is also, 
a a year where i don't think the champion is going to be as strong a team as your typical champion has been i think that's possible the key differentiator there is going to be whether the clippers do something with that first round pick that they can still trade yeah they can, yeah if they, if they get a real center like, if they do the trades like we were talking about with the nuggets like that type of trade a first round pick give up somebody and get a really good player then they're going to be a lot better i think yeah or if they moved uh lou or trez as well is there a way that they could get miles turner Oof, that would be a nice fit, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I mean, it does seem like Indiana is going to at least try and make it work with those two guys. Um, I think, okay. I would, yeah. One other quick addendum. If it doesn't work, the fact that Sabonis basically can't be traded in season does really push up the odds of Turner getting traded. Because it has. if it has to be one of them in season, it has to be Turner. Yeah. Or they may just decide, hey, you know what? We'll wait until Victor is totally healthy next sure. year and then, and then we'll make a decision here. Yeah. Um, all right. Conference finals for me, Lakers and Houston in the West. And the only reason I'm saying that Interesting. Is, is that I think the Lakers and Clippers are going to have to match up before the conference finals, that they could be on the same side of the bracket. I have them as the two and the three seed. I think Houston is going to be the one. And now it could be that the Lakers or Clippers, I think either the Lakers or Clippers are better than Houston um, in the playoffs, at least. And I like the way both of those teams match up with Houston. So I think that if the Lakers and Clippers aren't on the same side of the bracket, that they would meet up in the conference finals. I would feel a little bit better if the Lakers just had more flexibility to make trades just in terms of salary matching. I mean, all these player options that they did, I think are going to really hamstring them. But I just, I mean, LeBron and AD and like some shooting around them and, and i mean this is high risk for sure uh but i i do three see houston lakers and clippers as the three best playoff teams uh pretty clearly so uh as this is more about the bracket than it is thinking that houston is better than the clippers or the lakers well no what i'm more interested in is that you still that you have the lakers over the clippers um that those are actually my two conference finalists are the lakers and yeah. the clippers i'm predicting that my one and two both don't make the western conference finals which would be pretty pretty crazy um but i think the lakers and clippers are better postseason teams even as constructed now and those teams have motivation to get better in season also they have star talent and could be easy buyout destinations even though you could make an argument that somebody like Andre Iguodala, if he gets bought out, would be better suited on a team like Denver than on the Lakers or the Clippers. It sounds like he wants to go to the Lakers or the Clippers. So that's a benefit. The, uh, the Clippers having their first round pick available, I think, is a huge part of the argument for me to have the Clippers over the Lakers. I think they have more room to improve. Also, the tradable contracts like Lou and Montrez Harrell. So I have it Lakers losing to the Clippers in a Staples Center conference finals in six games, if that matters to people. And then on the other side, I, I think it's going to be Milwaukee and Philly, and, and especially because it looks pretty cleanly like they're going to be on opposite sides of the bracket. So it's like, okay, the teams that are the two best in the conference the regular season, also likely the two best playoff teams, also likely to be on the opposite side of the brackets. And that series I'm intensely excited about as a theory in practice. I'm going to be intent on all of their games this season. And I'm going Milwaukee over Philly. Home court matters. Philly kind of just needing to see it in practice. But I'm going to say right now that it would not surprise me in the slightest to be picking Philadelphia over Milwaukee when we're talking in mid-April. No, I, I completely agree. And I don't feel strongly about any of those predictions I made in the West either. I, I just, I kind of like the Lakers actually to be a little bit healthier than uh, and than the Clippers. And I think the Clippers just don't have enough inside. I think the Lakers are just going to end up destroying them on the interior. That's, uh, and I think Anthony Davis, it's possible that Anthony Davis might be the best player in that series. So again, that's, uh, I'm sure I'll be seeing a totally different tune when the playoffs start. But I mean, I think that could be a seven gamer. I think Milwaukee in seven over Philly 
And then I think I'm going to pick Milwaukee over the Lakers in seven games as well. But I think it's all these teams are so close together. In-season trades could be huge. Who's healthy? Home court. And that's going to be huge. And I mean, if you need a reminder of how much injuries can affect things, just look back to last year when everyone thought the Warriors, again, were fait accompli to win the title. And if they'd been healthy, they probably would have. But hey, uh, you know, Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant got injured on back-to-back nights uh, with season-ending injuries. Like, I mean, it can happen to anybody. And clearly, there's nobody as talented as the Warriors this year. So it's going to be a bloodbath. And so much is going to change, I think, between now and the playoffs. My finals is Bucks versus Clippers. Bucks would have home court. I have the Clippers winning it in six, so they would win it at Staples. And that would, wouldn't that be a moment? Yeah, I'm really interested to see if that Lakers-Clippers series happens, like what the Clippers home court advantage might be like, like how how we'll even calibrate home court in that series. And you imagine the Lakers game is going to be all Lakers fans, but are they going to bleed into the Clippers home games? That the, be- the secondary market price differences, between if, it ha- if that series happens between Lakers home games and Clippers home games will be like, that'll be an economist's dream. Yeah, no, I'm sure uh, having worked in the ticket industry, you'll be paying rapt attention to that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, I've got got a few just random predictions that I've come across. I already made one about that nobody makes a trade to clear 2020 cap space. Uh, I already mentioned that Golden State is more likely than not to miss the playoffs, despite the fact that I have them as the eighth seed. I believe that the West eighth seed will have 46 wins or fewer. I think it's been an, an outlier for there to be as many wins in that Western Conference towards the bottom, as we've seen recently. Historically, that generally just doesn't happen. That's really more of the pick there um feel free to react to any of these uh, as we go through um i also mentioned clippers and lakers are the two best west playoffs teams but they're going to play each other before the conference finals i'm going to predict that nobody makes a trade that moves the needle in terms of getting into championship contention we talked about that already uh few other ones james harden will still average over 34 points a game despite russell westbrook being on the team now i mean it's worth mentioning that those guys will play a fair amount of time apart both due to scheduled rest and also just well, staggering a couple other reasons i think that i mean we thought his numbers were going to go down a lot when he when chris paul got there i think actually westbrook is going to play a little bit more like chris paul in the half court you know it's not going to be a 1a 1b situation and then also they're going play at a faster pace so that's going to up the number of possessions that Harden is using and just you know the way the preseason has looked as well uh i think russ coming off of that offseason procedure see doesn't that sound nowhere near as bad as surgery he's totally healthy if you say procedure uh but i think he's going to kind of ease into things he's not going to want to disrupt what Harden has, has been doing um and then uh john morant will be top five in the nba in assists per game this year yeah that's that's a reasonable play i mean he's gonna have the ball in his hands a lot and there aren't there aren't that many options there and my issue there might be the number of minutes he plays i wonder if the if taylor jenkins will be a little bit more cautious there especially if they're out of the playoff picture but i mean that's fine yeah it's just they have nobody else and i mean he's also a really really good passer but i mean just watching their one preseason game with him against nba competition it seemed very clear that just everything's gonna have to run through him and he can pass the ball i mean some of the other i guess who who else would be up there trey obviously might he might be a good bet to lead the league in assists and westbrook will probably i think he's going to take a little bit of a step back and you know lebron could be up there as well i mean that's another situation where they're just gonna have to run so much stuff through him it wouldn't surprise me i uh, mean remember kyle lowry was second in assists per game last year he's gonna have the ball in his hands even more this year 
though they'll probably be scoring less yeah and and Nikola Jokic won't lead the league in assists but he could be top five but but I think the pace again all the indications from the preseason pace is going to be up again this year so oh I wouldn't be shocked if De'Aaron Fox was in the top five I don't think he's actually like good enough at passing I just think they're going to run a ton and he like he's going to be the the like the transition dynamo so much for them because they don't have those other guys I think that could lead him lead him a little bit Okay, individual awards here. Uh, note that these are the people who we believe will deserve the award, not who will win it unless uh, otherwise indicated. I'm going pretty boring here with the MVP. And now this is a little bit different here. I'm putting this in terms of ranking who has the chance, best chance to win MVP, not the order I expect them to be on the ballot. So this will come into Giannis Antetokounmpo is number one for me. Uh, I think it's just the Bucks are going to be good. They're probably going to be the best regular season team in the league. He probably is going to be better than he was last year. If anything, they're going to run more stuff through him without Malcolm Brogdon. So, and I think, you know, when they're if they're five games better than anyone else in the league, it's going to be tough to go pick anyone else, especially because some of the other candidates are, are pretty likely to get load managed. Um, who is your number one pick for MVP this year? Giannis. I, and I think Giannis is number one Boring. By, by a decent margin. The other thing you should add in is he's a young player who is really good. And generally speaking, yeah. when that happens, they get better. Like, right. it, it, yeah, I, I mentioned that a little bit. Yeah, oh, okay. But, yeah. So um, I think that's a strong part of it. So, so now my number two in terms of likelihood to win the award is Stephen Curry, but I think it's unlikely that he will actually finish second. I think he either wins it or he's going to kind of not really be that much in the conversation because there's a very easy scenario in which the Warriors could win 50 games. He's unbelievable and he's that's the way that he wins MVP. But it's hard for me to say it's either he's going to be awesome and they make the playoffs or he'll be slightly less awesome, but still really awesome. But they're going to be the eighth seed or they're just going to drop out or he's going to get hurt or something and just like not even really be a part of the conversation because the team won't be good enough. But just because there's not necessarily any clear others, I kind of see him as either being one or like five with no in between because of the team's fortunes. And, and that that actually may end up not having that much to do with the way, with the way he plays, other than just the number of games he plays. It's just what's around him. I mean, but he definitely could play at an MVP level this year if they can be have a decent year and be a nice story, especially after KD leaving all the injuries. Like it's very easy to craft a narrative there. Um, but also, I mean, when we're talking about who should win it, you know, I just have a ton of respect for what Steph is and. So I, I don't want to focus on the narrative too much because I'm just saying who we think is going to deserve it. Yeah, and, and that's actually why I have Curry second as well is because I think that he will, you know, the the idea of you replace him with a league average player, I think the difference for the Warriors is going to be stark. And so, yeah, I have Curry too. They'd love to replace him with a league average player when he goes out of the game. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, then I have Harden three, similar logic. Just yep. Harden. So, me, me too. Harden has more talent around him, all that yeah. kind of all that kind of fun stuff. I also think Harden's chances of actually winning the award took a took a drop with getting Russell Westbrook just because it splits credit, yeah. probably unduly, but it does give that possibility of, you know, a second legit star, yeah. all that kind I, of stuff. I, I mean, I think I'm going to be higher on Harden as a regular season player than some people just because they keep having these failures in the playoffs. And just to, in terms of the national narrative, it's like, okay, yeah, great. He's putting up the stats. He always does this. There's just going to be some fatigue with some of these stats. And, you know, I mean, now maybe if Houston gets the number one seed in the West by a mile and Milwaukee disappoints a little bit, you know, we may see see things a little bit differently. But 
um yeah i, I mean i think he'll to me those are anacupo curry and harden are the best bets to provide the most value on the floor uh, during this regular season. Yeah, I would agree with that. And then my last two players that look very different physically, but I think the arguments in favor of them are actually remarkably similar. And that's Nikola Jokic and LeBron James. Both of those players are the linchpins of their teams offensively, and they should be very, very good offenses and uh, likely very, very good teams. And their unique gifts are Part of what makes their whole system possible, like, I mean, the Lakers, depending on how they structure it with Rondo and their other guards, they could play without a another real ball handler on the floor. Like, they could do some of those KCP, Danny Green guard lineups, Avery Bradley in that mix as well. And other teams just can't pull that off because LeBron James is LeBron James. And then Jokic is just an incredible talent. So I actually went Jokic 4, LeBron 5. Part of that is just because Anthony Davis is really good at basketball. Like, Anthony Davis might be 6 for me. It's Davis and Kawhi are probably the next two guys in either yeah. order. But both of them have so much help that if we're talking about replacing that guy with a league average guy, like, think about the Nuggets if you swap out Nikola Jokic for a league average center. the the Their whole scheme is different. Their whole concept is different. Yeah, I just don't think he's good enough defensively. I mean, I think he he is a decent bet to be you know somewhere on this ballot but a very poor bet to actually win it um now that that's not necessarily what we're talking about here we're, do, we're doing our ballots but uh i think he was in the tier below i, I could see him breaking into this group uh along with damian Lillard, lebron james so i actually have anthony davis four and Kawhi five and man, i mean Kawhi has a very good chance to me of actually playing at the best on a per possession basis out of any of these guys but there's a thought that he's just not necessarily gonna stay healthy or or play enough games due to load management but i would have ad above lebron especially because lebron's defense uh eh, not too good i think ad is gonna be trying to clean up for him a lot this year and i mean windows wrote a piece today about lebron's defense being a big key for the lakers and i agree they should be a good defensive team other than him he needs to actually just like move if they want him to play the three other than him and other than rajon rondo yeah um okay and then who will get the mvp Giannis. yep that's that's who i have i mean we, well. we both have them as the number one team he's the unquestioned number one player on that team and he'll probably uh, there's a decent chance he'll be the best player in the league too i mean it's just too easy and there's no voter fatigue yet with him like there might be in a couple of years but not yet all right let's talk about coaches here and then we can save the rest of this uh, for later in the week coach of the year who you got? Remember again, we're focusing on deserves, not on not on who we think will win it. I actually do have a prediction on that if you want to hear it. Uh deserves. Sure. So then we're thinking who are the best coaches in the league? I mean, this is just a loaded, loaded group. Yeah, this is uh, we say this every year that it's so hard, but it's even harder this year because I don't really I'm not picking a team to really exceed expectations that much this year. Right. So for me in terms of deserving it, I, I, I just have a bunch of different coaches I want to mention. Popovich, an amazing regular season coach. Remember, I'm lower on the Spurs as a team. I just think that he's a great coach and he will help be a part of what makes this team possible. Doc Rivers, I'm really excited to see him take another different type of team and, and have them do well. I think he's going to he's gonna be able to find something with this group. Spo, another one of my favorite coaches in the league. Rick Carlisle, Brad Stevens, Quinn Snyder. All of them are, are yeah. really excellent. It, there's so many teams that are kind of projected in like the 45 to 54 win range this year that one of those teams is going to pop and get close to winning 60 and their coach might be yeah end up being uh, yeah the and, and, for and, actually winning coach and i didn't even mention mike boonholzer partially because and this is something i'm going to be interested in from a voter perspective is he still is going to do probably a really good job with this team yeah. it's just that 
the big part of it will have already happened. So yeah, I, I, I mean, it's a, like he's he, one of the best already, players in the league, straight up. Yeah, I mean, if they win fifty eight games and you look at their talent, like they don't, they've got Giannis and they got a bunch of guys like who fit around great, but and the defensive system that he crafted last year, I mean, he should certainly be right in the conversation again if they are lead the nba in wins again i'm gonna go with quinn snyder as my number one i think he's a really good coach uh, i skew more so it's just who i think is the best coach in these rather than you know who who was just on the team that surprises but you know i'm not that high on utah compared to some people i got them with the 52 wins but i could very easily again craft a scenario where he gets them to 60 with this group and so uh, there's just there's so many possible candidates this year that you know if i'm picking quinn snyder right now i'm thinking he's got like a 15 percent chance of winning it you know and uh uh, Greg Popovich, number two, again, to get a, a relatively under-talented Spurs team into the playoffs. It was very impressive last year. I expect them to do that again this year. So they could easily be out, but I mean, he's he's one of the best always. Uh, and then Budenholzer, I would probably have a, as number three. But I mean, there's just a ton of candidates. I, I mean, and then when you want to get to who could win it, who, who is who is your pick for who will win it as opposed to will deserve it? Carlisle. I, I think that Dallas, if they can separate out from that group, he'll get a lot of credit for that. Remember, this, this is not a group of players that have a ton of track record. Yeah. You know, like Porzingis I mean, is... They- they could win 50 games. Yeah, absolutely. And Carlisle, a very popular, well-respected coach in the league, would get credit for that. I And and also because it's not like Spolstra, who I think the, the Heat could end up having a really nice year, but there would be the easy argument of Jimmy Butler's healthy, and he's a great player, and, and maybe Dragic can be on the floor a little bit more. With Yeah, sure, they're getting Porzingis, but it's not like you would look at, their, at Dallas's starting five, look at their overall lineup, and say they're a definite playoff team or anything like that. So I could see him getting that, getting that benefits so that's why since i have dallas as being the team that kind of does the best of that group i'm gonna go with him as far as who could win it everybody like like seriously half the league i mean earmuffs bulls blogger jim boylan if the bulls could make the playoffs like you know uh especially if they got to like 42 wins or yeah, something i, Jay I don't Skeets think that brought happen, that but... up when i talked with him on real jam radio like the idea <laughs> idea like kind of and he brought up sam mitchell specifically as like as like an example of how that can happen yeah uh i think it's gotten a little saner since then but uh i mean ryan saunders if the wolves make the playoffs steve clifford if the magic take another step forward you mentioned carla alvin gentry if the pels get into the playoffs kenny atkinson he's got the narrative of kd being out maybe they they the nets get the four seed or something like that uh luke walton with the kings uh is possible frank vogel i mean the lakers could get the 60 wins maybe it'd be him you know like it's there's so much uncertainty it's pretty fun actually did you bring another up, did yeah. you bring up gentry yeah yeah i mentioned okay. i mentioned him and here's another one too for you another one that could be narrative focus and actually a guy i have a lot of respect for and probably didn't get enough credit last postseason is nick nurse yeah i mean i mean if the raptors could if get to win 50, 50 wins right i mean they played their 17 and 5 without Kawhi last year so um I'm a little lower on them because they lost Danny Green and they're replacing him with uh, Stanley Johnson. That's a little bit of a problem. But yeah, I mean, especially when you look at how important their defense is going to be for them. So yeah, I mean, there's there's just, um, and hell, I mean, you know, another day we haven't mentioned the guy that I was talking about is one of the best coaches in the league for a long time, Steve Kerr. Now, I, I'm, I'm predicting that the Warriors are not going to be any good, but hey, if they make it to 50 wins, same as we were talking about with Steph, the, the narrative could be behind him. And frankly, if he gets this group to defend and they win 50 games and they're like, you know, an average defense with this group, I will be right at the front of the train for him for coach of the year because they suck <laughs> on defense right now uh, in terms of the personnel. Do you want to do first coach fired as the last thing? Oh, yeah, that's always something like this. is always nice to end on, right? Okay, so not that many possibles. Here's my list of possibles. Mike D'Antoni, 
going into the last year of his contract didn't get an extension they replaced his whole staff probably not at his behest frank vogel could just you know maybe things just totally implode with the lakers they got uh kittlefinger as you so aptly named him david fisdale scott brooks although brooks does have another guaranteed year after this one and this is kind of a lost year and they like him with a, a young team but you know i mean if they're two and 25 or something you could see him going and even jim boylan you know they, they've got some expectations this year if things really start off poorly he did get the extension but it doesn't seem like it's for huge money um but uh, so those are my possibles and i'll throw nate mcmillan in there uh, as well anyone else you see as like that you would even consider for this category well first i want to note uh damon rangula is the one who came up with Kittlefinger. it was not me uh, ah i but, apologize yeah uh but so i re- i've just run with it because i i love it so very much um i i let's see so i'll just run through my list just very quickly other than my number one d'antoni fisdale vogel billy donovan james borrego Oh, Borrego. Yeah, I, I just, you know, I think they could really disappoint. I, I, mean, I just don't well, think they can trade people. Like, they, they, their roster is just so chock full of veterans on on expensive yeah. contracts that if MJ and Kupchak yeah. think they need a they need a stalking horse, that will be James Borrego. Well, Borrego came in last year, and they know they're going to be bad this year, and they're cheap. I, I, I oh, that's think, a good point. That's and, a and really And they're actually good point. still pretty expensive, too. No, that's why I didn't have him on there. Cause, and they also just have low expectations. Like, you, you, when you have that low expectations, it, I think it would just, it would be tough. Um, so have you mentioned your number one already or not? No, my number one is Nate McMillan. And, Mine is Scott Brooks. Okay. Yeah, I just think the $7 million for next year is going to be too much to for them to eat. Um, and it, the they're in this development mode uh, like i i actually thought that too when i thought they had a team option in him for next year but when fred katz told me on the pod that he has just a straight seven million for next year i think he's gonna be safe um but nate mcmillan again going back to something that jay michael and i talked about way back in the beginning of the team preview pods that uh, he doesn't have much in terms of money left on his deal and he asked for these playmakers the offense was atrocious in the playoffs last year i also kind of just expect them to disappoint I mean, for people who are like oh they're 48 wins 46 wins something like that uh in terms of their over under if those are their expectations i expect them to be well below that so it, it just seems like that's not even that i don't think he's done that good of a job i think defensively he's done a great job but just based on the external circumstances i mean when your beat reporter says that he could potentially have some pressure on him that's always something that i pay attention to because i mean so many of these situations there's stuff going on behind the scenes you know it's just whatever the attitude of management is is not necessarily what it is for us publicly where we were talking about him as possible coach of the year last year but you throw in the contracts and you throw in that and that's why i would have him as number one uh d'antoni would probably be number two just because the situation there is so unstable not because i don't think he's a good coach all right well that'll do it for today happy opening night again to everyone don't forget subscribe to hollinger and duncan search hollinger and duncan in your favorite podcast player if you haven't listened to the first episode yet it is out give us some feedback on that that'd be appreciated and we'll be back tomorrow talk about the real opening night where just about every team is going to be playing looking forward to doing a gamer it's been a while at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet 365 21 plus only must be present in virginia if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-GAMBLER terms and conditions apply